Welcome to another edition of Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. I'm your host, Chris Riley. We are joined today by one of the top voices in sports broadcasting today. He is currently the only broadcaster who does play-by-play for all major sports, NHL, NBA, MLB, and NFL. He is the radio voice of the New York Rangers, and he is currently the lead voice for play-by-play for TNT and the NHL. We welcome to the show, Kenny Albert. Did you always want to be a broadcaster when you were growing up? I did, Chris. Uh, my parents gave me a tape recorder for my birthday when I was five years old. And growing up around uh, my father and two uncles who were play-by-play broadcasters, it's really all I ever wanted to do. And I started to bring the tape recorder to uh, sporting events when I was old enough. Uh, prior to that, I set up my bedroom like a TV or radio studio. I had the the desk and the bed in the middle and the TV on the other side. And I would uh, call games into the tape recorder as a five or six year old. So, uh, you know, never wanted to be a lawyer never wanted to be a policeman or fireman. It was always play by play broadcaster. What sports did you play growing up as a kid on Long Island? I played pretty much all sports. Uh, can't say I was very proficient at uh, too many of them, but, um, started playing hockey at a young age, uh, probably started skating at three or four and, when I was uh, 12 in 1980, obviously the U.S. Olympic team won the gold medal. And I remember just uh, such a surge in kids who started playing hockey at that time. Uh, my local rink uh, was in Port Washington, twin rinks on Port Washington, Long Island. And uh, I played intramural hockey. I would go to public skating sessions. And right after the, the Miracle on Ice win, I, I would say uh, the number of kids who started playing hockey at that time probably quadrupled. So it was a lot of fun. I went to summer camp uh, for six years up in Monticello, New York, and we played all sports, basketball, baseball, uh, floor hockey, tennis, you name it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that at this point, ping pong might be my best sport. Uh, I'm not sure what that says, but <laughs> not playing ice hockey about 10 years ago. I still played an adult league in New Jersey, so I uh, still like to get out, out on the ice whenever I can. Were you ever doing play-by-play in the back of your mind when you were playing those games? Or were you doing stuff on the bench or thinking away it? You know, it's hard not to. And I, I've talked to other play-by-play <laughs> announcers about this. When when you're watching a game on television or in the stands as a fan or even participating, uh, for the small number of us, I think it is hard not to do play-by-play while the game's taking place. So... Why was uh, NYU the right choice for you for college? What was it about that school? I mean, Syracuse is a big place for broadcasters, you know, the Big Ten, Southeast Conference, a lot of people come out of there. But nobody would ever really think of going to New York University. What? Why was it the right choice for you for college? Well, thinking back to the mid-'80s, I graduated high school in 86. I had a couple of criteria. Uh, first of all, I did not want to be away from the NHL for four years. So I narrowed it down to Boston, Washington, or New York, wanted to stay in the Northeast. And to be honest, Syracuse obviously has a tremendous uh, broadcasting program, a number of other schools as well, um, all around the country. And I considered a number of them, but I had heard that at many of these bigger schools, it might take until your junior or senior year to get on the air. And at NYU, uh, we did have a bit of a smaller sports program. It was a terrific Division Three program, and we did the men's basketball and women's basketball games on the radio. Believe it or not, there were only five or six of us who wanted to do this at a school of, of 40,000 students. There were five or six 
who were interested in sports casting every year at the radio station WNYU. So we got to do everything right from the start, from freshman year on. Uh, we would rotate, and we were all good friends. Uh, one of us would do play-by-play. -play, one would be the color analyst. Uh, one would be the engineer in the arena. One would be the producer back at the station. Another would handle the stats. So it was really invaluable experience for all of us uh, right from the start of the freshman year. And that might not have happened at one of the bigger schools. So did it kind of give you a great base to work from at coming out of school when you when you finished in four years? Uh, did that help you by doing all those different jobs? It did, absolutely. And I was also really lucky, Chris, in high school when I was in 10th grade, uh, Schreiber High School, Port Washington, Long Island. I was writing for the school newspaper, for the town newspaper, so I was always around the high school sporting events. And I was at a basketball game in January 84, and the athletic director, Tom Romeo, the late Tom Romeo, who I knew very well from covering all the games and attending school there, um, he told me that a small cable station, Cox Cable of Great Neck, was going to come to a girls' basketball game, two cameras, small production van, and they were going to film the game and replay it at a later date. They had no announcers. I volunteered, and they clipped a microphone onto my shirt. Uh, I called the game from the second row. Everybody around me probably thought I was crazy talking to myself for, for a couple of hours. And then I met the producer after the game again, Roy Menton, and he said, call me tomorrow. And he gave me the opportunity in high school for the next three years. I called 75 to 100 uh, high school and college basketball, hockey, baseball, football, soccer, lacrosse, you name it. Uh, we did college games at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy, basketball and football. So that experience was was unbelievable. When I think back, I would bring friends along as color analysts. And at the time, high schools did not really offer, uh, you know, production classes, radio and television. There were no sports casting camps in the summer uh, back in those days as there are now. So I felt like I had a three-year head start on any other kid my age who wanted to do play-by-play. -play. So I think those three years more than anything, and then continuing in college at WNYU, but the three years at Cox Cable uh, were just so invaluable in getting the reps and gaining the experience. One note I found on you in my research, um, you have the distinction at NYU of scoring the first goal in the history of NYU ice hockey. How would you have called that if uh, you were calling that play? That is not fake news, Chris. I did score the first goal. I didn't <laughs> score many. I know. Um, when, I was, when I was a freshman, uh, I had played hockey in high school, club hockey. I was a third-line plotting winger. Um, again, didn't score too many goals, but had a lot of fun. And we played our high school games right across from Nassau Coliseum at the old airplane hangar at Nassau Community College. And uh, I played on the team for four years, and it was great to still have friends uh, from the high school hockey team to this day. And I thought that was it as far as organized hockey. I was still playing some pickup hockey in Manhattan at the old Sky Rink. But uh, amazingly, when I was a freshman in September 86, I'm walking through one of the buildings at NYU, and there's a flyer on the wall. Another student, Matt Nafis, who was a junior at the time, junior or a senior, he wanted to start a club hockey team at NYU. So I went to the first meeting. I wound up helping him out with a lot of the administrative duties. And uh, sure enough, uh, played club hockey in college for four years. I recruited our first coach, who I think you know well, uh, the great Stu Hackle, who had been the editor of Goal Magazine yep. and worked at the NHL. He was the director of broadcasting. I was Stu's intern back in 1985 and 86 in the summer at the league office, and Stu loved hockey, and he was our coach for the first two years. 
And we played that first game in December of 86 at Sky Rink, the old Sky Rink on 33rd Street between 9th and 10th Avenue against the College of Staten Island. I scored the first goal. I was coming down the right side. I picked up the puck, uh, top of the right wing circle, and it was a really weak wrist shot. And there must have been <laughs> six players on both teams meeting the goalie between me and the goalie because somehow it, it got in. Uh, it got past the goalie. Both my parents were at the game. A couple of friends were at the game. It was like one in the morning. We played our games at midnight or 1230 a.m. That's when we can get the ice. And uh, somehow somehow scored the first goal uh, in NYU history. Well, here's the question. Most guys in the NHL, when they score their first goal, have the puck. Do you have the puck? I, I don't have the puck, but um, I did one score another goal at Madison Square Garden in a in a charity game, the Christopher Reeve uh, celebrity hockey game. And Wayne Gretzky was a player with the Rangers at the time, and the whole team was there watching. They had taken part in a skills competition prior to the charity game. And I'm carrying my, my hockey bag up the steps at MSG. This is 98 or 99. And I run into Wayne Gretzky, and he said to me, nice goal. So I think I'll put the NYU goal uh, 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 off to the side. The fact that I was congratulated by Wayne Gretzky on scoring a goal uh, about a decade later, uh, you know, I'll put that memory up on the mantle for sure. So you come out of NYU and you wind up getting into the AHL uh, and your first gig is going to be with the Baltimore Skipjacks. Um, what was that like for you, the transition now? You're doing this for a living. Um was it, were there nerves? Was it exciting? Was it what you really wanted to do? You know, as you said, you wanted to be a broadcaster, but we were more like, you know, oh my God, I'm finally going to get my shot. Well, first of all, if I could rewind about six months, one of the great things about going to school in New York uh, were some of the internships and opportunities that were available during the collegiate years. And uh, I got to know Joel Blumberg very well, who was a good friend, and he was the producer of Islanders Radio at the time. And Joel hired me as a, a part-time producer and also to fill in on the pre- and post-game shows on WEVD Radio. Their studios happened to be on 8th and Broadway, about two blocks from my dorm. So it couldn't have worked out better uh, logistically. So I would fill in on Islander Radio, pre- and post-game. Barry Landers was doing the games along with Bobby Nystrom. And sure enough, during my senior year in college, Chris, uh, Barry had to miss four radio games uh, for other events. And I was hired to fill in on play-by-play -play as a college senior, 21 years old. So my first game was December 2nd, 1989. We're coming up on the 32nd anniversary, which is hard to believe, next week as we taped it. Yes. And it, it was a calendar game in Winnipeg. And I, I did three more games over the course of that season. And it was sort of the opposite of what uh, you know most other aspiring play-by-play -play broadcasters would do. Uh, those who were lucky enough to get jobs in the American Hockey League would then use those tapes to try and get an NHL job. Well, I had four NHL tapes that I was able to send out to minor league teams and wound up getting hired in Baltimore by the Skipjacks. And they were the Capitals affiliate at the time. And I would not trade in those two years for anything. It, it was unbelievable. Uh, getting hired, moving to Baltimore about a month after college graduation, hired as the radio broadcaster, but uh, really hired to chip in and do everything uh, that was needed in the office, whether it was public relations, sales, marketing, go pick up a player at the airport, uh, really any errand <laughs> that was needed. So, um, you know, in the summer, I remember chomping at the bit, couldn't wait for the season to get started. I was not a very good salesman, 
Uh, I made three sales the entire summer, a, a gym at a hotel, a sports bar, and a, a driving range batting cage facility about 15 <laughs> miles north of downtown Baltimore. We threw in everything for $500. They would get season tickets. They would get a commercial on the radio every game. Uh, they would get an ad on the boards and ad in the pro in the game program, whatever they wanted for the $500 uh, we would give them. So uh, just a tremendous opportunity. You asked about nerves. I was nervous prior to that first game. And to be honest, I wasn't sure I would make it to game two. Um, I had to set up the equipment and was my own engineer. And it was antiquated equipment from the 1970s and, um, you know, held together by these these thin electrical wires. And I'm not great <laughs> technologically as it is. And I was 22 years old back then. First game was in Hershey, Pennsylvania, October 6th, 1990. And it was a great atmosphere. Uh, the building in the old Hershey Park Arena, the broadcast booth was about 10 rows up. You had a tremendous view of the ice. And uh, Gene Ubriaco, the former coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins, was living in Baltimore at the time. He had coached uh, prior in the American Hockey League, and his family stayed in Baltimore. He volunteered to do color with me on many of the home games and some away games. So Gene drove up to, to uh, Hershey. It was about a 90-minute drive from Baltimore. We're all set. It's my first game. I can't wait to get started. Middle of the second period, I get handed a note from somebody in the press box just below us, call your station, you're off the air. One of us had accidentally <laughs> kicked out the phone wire that connected the equipment and sent the signal back to the station, so I thought I wouldn't make it to game two, but uh, we were able to have connected, uh, call the remainder of the game, and I guess the rest is history. Two years in Baltimore, uh, my roommate on road trips was uh, somebody you and the viewers may be familiar with. Uh, a fellow by the name of Barry Trotz, who was our assistant coach at the time in Baltimore. And uh, we were road roommates for two years. Could not have asked for a better roommate. Um, he liked to uh, pull a practical joke on one member of yes, the travel I, I party think, here. And, I, I, uh, I think you uh, should go into what he did to you. Uh, well, I'll, I, 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 I like the, the story. Notes. Yeah, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version because otherwise we'd be here for hours. But um, earlier in the season – I had done a pregame interview with Barry and something came out wrong on his end. And it, it was kind of funny, whatever it was. Uh, it was a light moment and I did not use it on the air, but I made the mistake of going to play the tape for a number of the players on the team. And of course the word got back to, uh, to Barry Trotz. And uh, he, he told me after the game, he said, I'm going to get you back. Don't worry. And about four months later we flew. It was one of the only times we would fly all season. Uh, everything else was on the bus. So we fly to Sydney, Nova Scotia. It was a three-flight day. We started in Baltimore, flew to Boston, uh, then Halifax, and then Sydney, all small planes, regional jets. And the hockey equipment and the sticks took up most of the uh, cargo space below. And we were told that our personal luggage might not make it until the next day. So we land in Sydney, Nova Scotia late in the afternoon. And we get off uh, the steps on the tarmac, and there's a gentleman at the bottom with a clipboard. And he stops me, and he points to my name. He says, is this you? So he says, you need to come with me. I thought he wanted me to identify what some of the personal luggage looked like since it might not be arriving until uh, the following day. He starts asking me uh, all kinds of questions. Is your passport valid? Have you ever been arrested? Do you know anyone that's in trouble? And this continues on and on, and they, they put me in an unmarked car. I knew I wasn't being kidnapped. It was a uh, police car with all of the uh, equipment in the front, computer equipment, two uh, older gentlemen, very nice uh, gentlemen. And they, they continue to question me as we're driving around. And I, I know I didn't do anything, 
but I have no idea what's going on. And finally, they pull up to the team hotel, and the one gentleman says, one final question, do you know Jimmy Wiseman? Uh, Jimmy passed away about a year ago. He was the longtime security chief for the Washington Capitals, who we all knew, and his brother happened to be a policeman up in Sydney, Nova Scotia, set up the whole thing, and they would get players and trainers every year uh, for the next uh, five or six, and I happened to be the victim back in 1992. Oh, my gosh. Um why was it better to go away from the New York area? As you mentioned before, you didn't want to leave New York and, and leave the NHL, but what was it, what did it did for you for going to the AHL and giving you the base to work from? I mean, a lot of young broadcasters today don't understand that you do have to go away to come back to be successful. What did those two years do for you and how did that set the table for you in your career? I, I would not have traded those two years in for anything. And I, I would have gone anywhere. Uh, Baltimore happened to be a, uh, a, a big city for a minor league team. It was a major city with uh, obviously major league baseball. Uh, the Ravens came back a couple of years after I left. There had been NBA basketball as well in Baltimore before the bullets moved down to Landover. Um, I, I would have gone anywhere uh, around the U S Canada. Uh, didn't matter. Just wanted to get the experience. I uh, was very fortunate to wind up in a major city and from Baltimore, I went on to live uh, three years in the Washington, D.C. area, working Capitals hockey and filling in on uh, Wizards basketball and Orioles baseball and worked a lot of college basketball as well. I thought I thought I would be down in the D.C. market for a long time. I loved it. Uh, it was a great experience, worked for tremendous people. So um, I wound up in Maryland for a total of five years before moving back to New York. Also felt like it uh, would help establish my own identity. Uh, away from New York, and uh, I, I think it certainly went a long way towards doing just that. One of your, one of the people you really not mentored, but you really admired, uh, was the Vancouver Canucks announcer Jim Robinson. What was it about his style that caught your ear? I mean, most guys like us who've grown up in the New York area, you know, your dad, you know, Marv. Your, you know, your two uncles, people listen to them. People have listened to, you know, different, you know, growing up listening to John Sterling. But how did you wind up liking the style of this man who's 3,000 miles away in Vancouver from New York? You know, to be honest, I didn't hear his broadcast very often. Um, I was a Vancouver Canucks fan, which is how uh, the connection uh, came to fruition. Uh, when I was five years old, for some strange reason, living on Long Island, I started rooting for the Vancouver Canucks. And I was uh, uh, tagging along with my father at a game one day at MSG. They were playing Vancouver. He introduced me to Jim Robson, and uh, who would go on to become a Hall of Fame broadcaster. And we started communicating via mail. Uh, I would write letters to him, and he would write back, and I would go visit him whenever the Canucks were in town to play the Rangers or the Islanders. Uh, he was a true gentleman, uh, one of the great hockey broadcasters of all time. And uh, then when I started working NHL games, I was – uh, always excited whenever I would see Jim if I worked a game involving the Canucks. And I actually heard from him via email, believe it or not, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, he's not working anymore. He's retired, but still loves to go to the Canucks games, and uh, he'll be a part of their fabric and history for a long time. Now, you sound, you're down there for five years in, in the Maryland, Baltimore, you know, Washington, D.C. area, and you get the opportunity to come back to be the radio voice of the Rangers. Dream job? It was. And again, it was a tough decision, though, because I was doing TV for the Capitals and loved the people that I was working with and working for. Uh, had another opportunity earlier that summer, uh, the summer of 95, to come back to New York 
and I won't get into the specifics, but there was another opportunity to come back up and work for another team on the TV side. And I just felt I had such a great situation in Washington, uh, doing hockey, uh, filling in on basketball and baseball. And I also had time remaining on a contract and I felt so loyal uh, to the folks I work for. Uh, but then when the Ranger opportunity came up, uh, you know, even though it was radio versus TV in Washington, um, you know, I just felt like it, it was a dream job. Uh, I was hoping it would lead to some other things as well, which it did. Um, I was already working for Fox on the TV side, uh, which is a whole other story on how that came about back in 1994. Uh, so all the stars kind of aligned and came together. And the folks that I worked for in Washington were great about the whole situation. They allowed me to leave, even though I did have time remaining on a contract. And uh, uh, it certainly was a lifetime thrill. My goal was always to do hockey on the radio and to have the opportunity to do it for the Rangers in my hometown uh, you know, was really a once in a lifetime opportunity. And, uh, here we are incredibly 26 years later and have enjoyed every second of it. Uh, I don't do every game because of the other obligations, but, uh, always still have so much fun. Uh, got to work with the great Sal Red Light Messina broadcast hall of famer for my first uh, seven years. And then, uh, Brian Mullen, who was a, a native New Yorker, a great guy. We worked together for a couple of years and now Dave Maloney, uh, for the last 16. So couldn't ask for better partners. And uh, again, hard to believe that it's been 26 years. We're talking with Kenny Albert here on Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. Please join us for part two of our three-part series on one of your favorite streaming platforms. 